I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with security expert Mac McMillan, CEO of consulting firm Synergistec. Mac will be discussing steps that healthcare entities can take to prevent medical ID theft and fraud from occurring at their organizations. Hi, Mac. Hi, Marianne. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Now, as you work with clients, what types of medical ID theft and fraud cases do you see them battling? You know, it's 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 a, it's a great question, Marianne, because beginning of uh, 2014 uh, has lived up to the old Chinese motto, may you live in interesting times, uh, as it relates to identity theft and fraud in healthcare. A lot of the folks that we work with have have absolutely been dealing with some really tough battles. Let me give you a few examples. So sometimes it's as simple as uh, somebody internally who has access to patient information and who, for whatever reason, decides to take that information and either use it themselves for an inappropriate purpose or sell it or provide it to someone else who does that. In other cases, it can be as sophisticated as as one organization that we work with out out west who had an attack that started with a phishing exercise, if you will, uh, targeted at some of their staff members. Unfortunately, one of those members responded to that phishing attack and and by doing so gave up their credentials. Those credentials were then used to compromise the payroll server in that organization and other information that was on the network that allowed the attackers to put together a very tailored uh, phishing attack against very high salaried individuals in that organization and then use the information that they gleaned from that attack to make certain changes to payroll profiles for those individuals and to uh, establish a direct deposit, if you will, to an account that they created in Africa and began stealing money uh, out of these people's pay uh, and did this for several months before it was discovered. And that particular incident cost that organization well over a million dollars in money that they had to replace uh, in those people's accounts. Fast forward that from there to an even even broader situation uh, that we've experienced this year with a lot of physicians and dentists across the country in multiple state and in some very uh, that I got involved in very directly with some of our customers and that is the tax fraud scam we saw uh, this year targeted against physicians and dentists. High value individuals have always been the targets of tax fraud. Basically somebody gets a hold of your personal information, your address, etc., your social security number uh, and then files a fraudulent tax claim ahead of you and has the money sent to an account which they can then withdraw through a debit card and, and cash out, or and there's other ways of doing it, but the bottom line is when the person goes to file their own personal tax claim, it gets denied uh, because the system says you've already filed, and they find out now that they've been the victim of, of tax fraud. And we had several hospitals across the country that had multiple tens of doctors uh, and dentists who were the victims of that scam. Uh, this year, and, and the sad thing about that is that, is that not only do they have to deal with with the fact that it's it's going to be literally uh, somewhere anywhere between 12 and 18 months before they see their this year's tax claim actually resolved, but they're going to have to worry about it going forward 
in terms of what information does this individual or individuals have about them that allowed them to do this. So it's it's a pretty serious issue and it and it's one that costs everybody. It's a this is a crime that, that everybody is the victim of, quite frankly. What steps can healthcare organizations take to prevent their patients from becoming victims of medical ID theft and various fraud that's committed or that involves insiders and intent? There are things that we can do, and we're not doing enough of them. So in order to protect our folks from medical identity theft or identity theft and fraud internally, we need to do a better job of monitoring what is going on in our environment. And what I mean by that is that traditional monitoring methods in terms of log management and and monitoring for the kinds of things that we normally do in terms of policies and rule, rule sets and whatnot is not adequate to catch, usually to catch uh, insider fraud or identity theft. What you really need is more proactive auditing that is looking at behavioral analysis, that's looking at pattern analysis, because generally speaking, when you take these incidents apart, the ones that we've been able to identify and investigate and analyze, when you take them apart, what separates the person who is who is involved or engaged in this activity from other people who have the same level of, of access to information that they do is generally their behavior. It's when they're doing it, it's where they're doing it from, it's how they're doing it, it's what they're looking at as opposed to what they should be looking at. And typically when we're doing just traditional monitoring and auditing, we're looking for violations of their access privileges as opposed to just generally watching what they're doing across the board. So if we really want to have a chance at slowing down or avoiding some of this uh, fraud activity, we really need to invest in different technologies that give us the ability to actually measure and monitor behavior and patterns and alert on those things, as well as being able to have better authentication around around users and the systems uh, that they use so that when a system, for instance, connects from somewhere else that is related to a particular user that is not recognized, it throws up a flag and says you can't have access. So there's things that we can do, and we're quite frankly not there in healthcare. What steps can healthcare entities take to prevent medical ID theft and fraud that involves external threats, outsiders such as hackers, criminals intent on using social engineering to gain access, and that sort of thing? Obviously, one of the attacks that I described at the beginning of, the, of our discussion was a one that was aided and abetted by social engineering in terms of, of phishing. And, and then one of the first things we can do is better educate our workforce. You know, uh, all too often, uh, most organizations are providing uh, education around the things that they're required to give as opposed to maybe what the individual needs to truly be truly functional in a particular area. And this is no exception. Just educating our workforce on the the things that HIPAA says that they need to be educated on is not enough to really help them protect and be smart about what they're doing. We need to give them better education. We need to to make sure that they understand what a phishing attack looks like and and how to recognize those things and, and how not to become the victims of those. We need to do a better job in that area. The other thing we need to do is, like I said, we need to put better controls on our environment. We need to authenticate not just users, but we need to authenticate systems. 
so that when platforms that, that try to connect to our network from externally, when our environment doesn't recognize that IP address and it's an IP that's a system that's trying to connect to a critical server or a critical asset within our environment, this is, no, you're, you're not authorized. You're not allowed. Or when the identifier for a particular system is not related to the user that's supposed to be on it. In other words, if when Joe typically gets on the, the system to do his work, he's on a system that has this particular IP address and is authenticated in this manner. When he, when all of a sudden his credentials show up on some other system that's coming from the outside that's not recognized, there ought to be a flag there. There ought to be something that stops it and says, this not allowed. We don't recognize that system. Even if it's Joe on that system, he, you know, he, there needs to be some other way to, to better authenticate him and that system so that we know it's a legitimate connection. We don't do enough of that. We don't have things like network access control deployed in most healthcare environments where we are actively monitoring for rogue devices or unknown devices and interrogating them uh, before we allow them to connect to the network. When it comes to preventing breaches, including those leading to medical ID theft and fraud, how important is role-based access control? And what are the biggest mistakes that healthcare organizations make with their role-based access control processes and management? Role-based access control is extremely important. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the pillars of authentication and authorization, right? It's because it tells us who the person is, what the role is, and what that role is allowed to do. So when you think about authorization, there isn't that role-based access, then, then what am I really authorizing? How do I know what this person is or isn't uh, supposed to be able to do? I think one of the things, there are a couple of things, I think, that I've seen organizations fail in with respect to role-based access. And the first one is, is, is the really simplest one, which is they don't do it. They don't really think about roles in, in their organization and coming up with a scheme for what that particular role should or should not have access to unless the application that they happen to be dealing with has the capability for them to set those roles up. The second thing that I think that, that I think we need to do a better job of is we tend to set roles up based on categories of people as opposed to positions. So in other words, we don't really have role-based access maps that map to a position. We have role-based access maps that map to a group of individuals. So you have a group of nurses or you have a group of doctors or you have a group of admins or whatever it is. And everybody in that group has essentially the same basic set of privileges and, and is authorized to do the same basic things and have access to the same types of systems and, and data. And that may or may not be appropriate. It may or may not be granular enough. You know, so if we really want to be able to support the kind of analysis that we need to be able to, to accomplish to identify when somebody is behaving uh, badly or, or in a uh, aberrant fashion, you really have to drill down a little bit further with respect to how we create roles and privilege and authorization based on a position, not necessarily just a class of individual, because otherwise the system isn't going to have the information to differentiate between one person or another. I think that's one of the big issues that I see as, as a hindrance to being really successful at this. So now when it comes to preventing other kinds of healthcare-related fraud, 
including billing and claims fraud. What technologies and best practices do you think are being most overlooked by healthcare organizations and payers? I don't know that it's so much the payer side of it, but, but certainly on the provider side of it. I think one of the things we need to start looking at is the same kind of fraud detection uh, capabilities that the financial sector has around some of its systems uh, in terms of the kinds of checks that it performs and the analysis that it performs around the various uh, operations that they do around uh, billing and, and financial transactions and whatnot to really strengthen uh, our system's capability to detect fraud. Most of our systems really don't have that kind of capability built into them. Now, that's, you know, the problem with that is that, again, this is something that, you know, has to go back to the vendor and the vendor has to find a way to, to incorporate that capability or that intelligence, if you will, into the system to be able to support that, and that's obviously going to drive the cost of those those systems up. So it's a, it's a it's a challenging issue uh, from that perspective. On the simple side, you know, there are things that we can also do with individuals that I don't think we do enough of as well, and that is ensure that claims and bills and whatnot are reviewed with the individuals and or by somebody involved in the patients care to ensure that they're accurate. How many folks actually take a look at their claim and everything that's on there and understand what's there and recognize whether or not that was actually done to them or performed or delivered? And how much checking gets done with respect to that? Because overbilling is is a big issue, as you know, in healthcare. Adding additional codes to claims is a big issue. Pasting, copying and pasting is a big issue as it relates to to claims, processes, et cetera. You know, what are some of the simple things we're doing? Like, like for instance, sitting down with the person and saying, Let, let's review your claim and what you were here for and, and whether or not everything here is accurate. We don't do that. Now, I'm sure everybody looks at that and says, well, that's, that's time-consuming, that's an extra step, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is oftentimes the best person to catch an error in a claim is somebody who is involved directly in the provision of whatever was done or and or the patient themselves. And I don't think we do a good job of that either. So now looking ahead, what new or emerging cyber criminal threats do you think healthcare organizations should be paying more attention to? First of all, we need to understand that we really are living in a new a new world. I like to call it a new paradigm in healthcare. I mean the the criminal community the, the, the hacker community, et cetera, has figured out and, and now knows that 99% of all of our patient data, financial data, et cetera, is automated and in systems. They now know that almost all of our processes around claims, around patient information, et cetera, is automated. They now know that healthcare is heavily reliant on third parties for critical processes associated with delivery of care. And and what we're seeing out there in the cyber criminal world is even greater access to what they call easy to buy and easy to use services that is going to do nothing but just increase the level of activity that we're going to see, I think, on the hacking front. The second thing is is the proliferation of poorly protected connected devices. I mean, we could talk about this all day long. The number 
of devices, endpoint devices that we're connecting to networks, whether it's wirelessly or or what have you, is just growing exponentially. And and I think one of the big problems we have is that we're still trying to chase the device. And what we really need to be doing is managing the data so that the device doesn't become our Achilles heel. The third thing is just this Internet of Things, if you will, that we have out there. The number of web attacks is up considerably. The number of mobile apps that people are creating or that we have access to is growing exponentially. And a lot of them, quite frankly, are not developed securely enough. The next thing is the increase and the greater sophistication, if you will, in phishing and social engineering attacks. I think I read a study the other day, Marianne, that that said that almost 90% of the breaches that the threat centers investigated started or included some form of social engineering or phishing associated with that because it was so easy to gain the information that they needed to support uh, the rest of the attack. You know, the next thing is one that I've already talked about, which is a, that third-party issue, and that is we have a tremendous number of healthcare organizations today that have what I call supply chain security issues. They really don't have a good handle on, which means folks, that they, data that they have in the cloud, data that they have in software as a service, for instance, system services that they're relying on third parties to provide that are critical to operations, and other third parties that, that do things for them that, quite frankly, may not be as secure as the hospital and are essentially backdoors into their system. And then last but not least, you always have the ever-present threat of, of malware and spam. I think the percentage of spam is actually going down, but it's still about 70% of the mail that's out there, and about 90% of that spam mail has a link to something else, sometimes something dangerous, sometimes something not. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have literally millions of malware uh, variants and, and spam messages coming at, at our environment on a daily basis, and it's increasing uh, the threat that we have if you will, from a cyber criminal perspective, because some of those things are carrying uh, dangerous payloads. Thanks, Mac. I've been speaking to security expert Mac McMillan. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.